Feels like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Sit right back and get comfortable. You are listening to Broker Talk, the number one real estate podcast hosted by brokers with almost 50 years of experience in the real estate brokerage industry, including residential, commercial, investment, development, and marketing, including radio and television, magazines, books, websites, and of course, podcasts. Your Broker Talk hosts today are Larry Lawfer and myself, Jim Lowenstern. Evan is on the soundboard. We're once again broadcasting from high atop the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? I just love the new colors out there in the fall. I think everybody should visit New England in the fall. Today would be a good day. Uh, we've got a great show lined up with us uh, for us today. Uh, in the studio, we have someone whose passions led to her career. And we had that conversation. Diane Danielson is the COO of SVN, a commercial real estate uh, firm. Yeah. Welcome, Diane. Thanks for having me. So uh, talk a little bit about your passion and how it led you to your career. All right. So um, as you said, I'm Diane Danielson. I'm the COO of SVN International Corp. We are a commercial real estate brokerage franchisor. Now, how did I end up there? Well, um, God, I don't want to say how many years ago, but I grew up in a place called Columbia, Maryland, and it was a very special place, although I didn't realize how special it was. I, I did know that it was purposely designed and built by a gentleman named James Rouse, who owned the Rouse Development Company and has done a lot of real estate development up and down the eastern seaboard. And one of the things in our, our, our city was perf purposely designed to be socioeconomically inclusive and racially inclusive, and that was written to the bylaws. There, were not, there weren't tennis clubs or private clubs. Everything was open and access to who wanted to use it. We actually, uh, there weren't even churches. There were interfaith centers. So it was a very unique place to grow up, and I realized that he was the real estate genius behind this, and this is what we were taught in school, and it was very environmentally conscious for the times. I mean, there's things that we've learned are not weren't as well done as they could have been in today's world. So I left Columbia, Maryland, I, and I was always interested in the environment and real estate and how we could shape a community like that. And I was very surprised to find out that Columbia was very unique and then the rest of the world wasn't like that. So then I spent the next 30 years knocking on the doors of commercial real estate to try to uh, recreate and build and have an impact on local communities in the way that James Rouse and Columbia, Maryland had on myself. And it hasn't always turned out. There's been a lot of twists and turns, but um, right now, we're, we're helping our franchisees work with their communities, and uh, um, commercial real estate, uh, no matter what area you're in, is, is a very exciting area because I think it tells the stories of your community. You're like the stewards of the community. You decide you can help have an impact on what happens and we know that we spend about 90% of our time in commercial buildings, yeah. don't we? Yeah, I was saying 90% of our lifespan is spent in commercial, which you don't realize. You're born in a hospital. Well, most people are born in a hospital. And, you know, you uh, are go to university, you have a dorm. Uh, a lot of housing is now becoming commercial properties. So there's a lot of times, you, you, anywhere you go, you go to a store, that's commercial real estate. A parking garage could be park commercial real estate. So anything that's not residential is commercial. And residential that's four or more units is deemed commercial property. So... It's, it's a big, there's a lot to do, there's a lot of opportunities in commercial real estate, and it's in a transition right now, which is an incredibly exciting time. Well, there's so much opportunity, and that's actually what we're going to get to talk to talk about. Um, the passion, though, um, when your passion is also your career, it never feels like work. It feels like opportunities. <laughs> I would say, that, yeah, it does, except the day-to-day -day might grind you down a little bit, but, um, but it's, it's, 
it, when you you have those moments throughout your career, if you're doing something you're passionate about, um, you do have to slug through the daily fest and, and the issues that happen. I mean, you know, as a woman in a, a mostly male-dominated industry, some things were harder than others. Um, but then you see the impact of something like we have a, a fantastic firm down on the South Shore. Uh, or in the eastern shore of Maryland, and they just helped build a local dog park with a grant that we were able to provide from headquarters here, and then they raised the money. And, and doing that and learning things like how the best investment to turn around a neighborhood is to put a restaurant in, because it creates a destination, it creates jobs at all levels, and that's how you, you can do that. And so getting to understand that and having that impact is something that, um, well, at my current level job, I don't get to touch and do every day, but we're enabling firms and individuals uh, to earn a living and also be part of the community and impact. And it's a very lucrative business, so it's a win-win-win. And you do not need a college education to do it. And actually, that's a change we've made. Um, so we're heavily recruiting, you know, whether you're community college. I mean, it's learning the math behind the finances of a building, but we can teach you that. And yet the personality and being able to get along with people and understand and listen well is always a key. Oh, that's a huge key. And I think that's a lot like residential in that sense. That's where the two are similar. I think they're very different personalities for both. But um, being good with people, understanding, listening to the client, I mean, I think that's any business, actually. Yeah. Being yeah, an empathetic so. listening is, is one of the key success factors. So, Jim, did you have a passion that led you to real estate? Uh, yeah, I used to um, sit at home when I... Didn't go to school and design big houses. <laughs> I, and I, I, so doing mostly floor plans, but yeah, I was sketching it out on graph paper. And I know that you went to school and that, uh, studied some kind of mechanical engineering, <coughs> was it? I, I was in engineering for a very short time. <laughs> I, I was, and I and was that pr- wasn't I was, the passion. I was pre-med. That was presumably the passion. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I went to law school, and I that only I only was a lawyer for three years. But but right, I right. but I did realize that no matter where I lived, I needed a roof over my head, and I'd be better off owning it than renting it. I always say Excellent. food, shelter, and clothing are the primary things, and shelter we're number two on that hit parade. So okay. it's it's a good career from that perspective. We have we have a question for Diane from Anya Perino from Sausalito, California. She asks, or says, I'm new to the industry and I'm trying to decide whether to do commercial or residential sales or both. How would you consult me or counsel me? She said counsel. Counsel Counsel me to decide which direction to go in. Um, I would actually get out there and and talk to brokers of both sides. I I feel like it's very different. Um, The the residential... um, you have to generate a lot of clients repeatedly because once you put them in a house, it might be several years before you see them again. And there's also a lot of emotionality that goes into those decisions. I don't think I I could possibly uh, handle that. But the difference is with commercial real estate, you could have five clients that buy and sell real estate constantly. You also have your weekends because you you might work work weekends, but you won't be showing houses and everything like that. So it's a lot more math and commodities oriented. Like I actually, commercial real estate is a bit on the financial uh, investment spectrum and it's becoming more and more. There's more family offices that are buying into real estate. There's more people that are buying multiple real estate investments um, and redeveloping properties. So um, I think it depends on on which one you like, but I would talk to as many people as possible. And we were just talking earlier, like there there are the resi-mercial brokers who mostly do residential, but when a if they're in a small town or an area where uh, something commercial comes up, they could do that. Uh, but 
you know, I'm a big fan of commercial real estate because, uh, again, you can get clients for life. There's so much opportunity. It's a different uh, type of job. And you can still, if you're a broker, you still have that freedom and flexibility. You're just judged on your numbers and you can make a certain amount. And then my passion came from my father being a home delivery milkman. So I'm going into people's residential homes. And I was always looking for the normal family, figure out what that was. And uh, I've been down the road a long way now. There is no normal. I do know that. Uh, but I still have that passion for uh, people's homes and where they live and how they live. And that's why here at Castles mm -hmm. Unlimited, I've named my group Your Stories because it's always about you. It's And the emotion part of it, we do play a large part of I feel like it's a marriage counselor sometimes if you're showing a couple. Often. <laughs> they have often. to realize they don't have the same taste in houses. So. Um, but one thing that's neat about uh, commercial real estate is the impact you can have on a community, as I mentioned. You, you can have that. And, and I really encourage young people to consider this. Uh, it's been a very closed network that you had to know somebody or your family had to be in the business to really find out about it. But because of the age gap that's happening, we have a lot of baby boomers who are going to retire in the next three to five years, about 60% of the industries of retirement age. So, um, so not me this time. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's going to create opportunity. And I think people should get into the business because you want, I want young people uh, to build the cities that they want to live in. Because the way, my fascination actually with the residential commercial is more holistically and, you know, de and demographics. Right now we have young people who want to live in urban environments, but we don't have housing uh, to put them in. And then they want to live out in the suburbs around Boston, but the transportation system's like not working in a way. And there's a great uh, something uh, on the news lately showing the different uh, routes into Boston. And because headquarters are putting their, uh, or big corporations are putting their headquarters downtown Boston, all of our commuting routes are all going in and out of Boston instead of staying out in the suburbs or going around 128. So we're, we're and we've added 500 jobs in the last couple of years. I mean, it's a, a really tough environment up there. And so realist, residential and commercial need to work together um, to build the cities that we want. A lot more than 500 jobs, wouldn't you say? Well, I think that was the net over a bunch of years. I mean, there's a whole bunch more of jobs, right. but it was a net over more than 500. I think it was just Boston downtown or something. Right, I just saw right, that. right. And and I'm finding in the residential side, you know, as, as parents are getting older, if they have the children who are moving back into those homes to take care of their parents, their parents still want their autonomy. And they're unable to build a little secondary housing project on, right. on their land so they can have their own little private space like a little she shed. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, grandma, grandma's house, <laughs> grandma shed. Uh, but there's a lot of um, issues with our zoning laws. Our zoning laws are yeah. so outdated. They were built before the new demographics and the new issues. And so it's keeping out a lot of houses. Uh, uh, a young woman, uh, Amy Dane, just did a wonderful research on the uh, 100 of the greater Boston communities and looking at their zoning laws. And basically, the right answer is to build uh, multifamily housing near public transportation hubs. But some of the zoning laws will say uh, you have to provide two parking spots for every uh, unit, but which effectively makes it not cost effective to build. And you can't find the land. And you're next to the transportation hub. And a lot of the young people don't even want cars. So it's sort of we have to we have to holistically look at our housing laws uh, around here in order to create uh, transportation access and also even people who want to age in their communities, wouldn't it be nice not to have a car? We're seeing a, a revival of town centers, which I love, of the neighborhoods and bringing back. Because one thing, uh, being a Gen X or not, uh, I'm a, on the upper end of Gen X, we're the Generation X is the last, um, the last generation to remember life before the internet. 
So we are that last tie to the neighborhood where we used to, if we wanted to find our friends, we'd drive our bikes around and see where everybody else was, or you know, we'd bounce the soccer ball outside or kick the soccer ball around outside until someone came out to play. But now the kids are on their phones, we don't have this sense of community, and there's been a real nostalgia for that. So uh, we're seeing this in buildings, uh, you know, even uh, commercial properties. People want to create a sense of a neighborhood and a community. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, uh, kids don't go out and play as often. Everything is far more structured. They're driving to their games. They're driving to their lessons. They are. And, well, they can't walk to the schools anymore because we're, we're sprawled out, I mean, outside of the city, which is part of the attraction of the city because people cannot have a car. But right. yet we're still trying to build parking garages in downtown Boston instead of trying to fix the public transportation. And wouldn't it be nice if we didn't need a car like right. many European cities? Yeah. Yeah, I know my 28-year-old lives in a beautiful place. Uh, He works in Manhattan. Um, He's in the new Brooklyn, which is Jersey (laughs) City. Um, He has no intention of buying a car at this point. He doesn't need it. I mean, I used to joke having a car in the city is like having a pet. You have to move it around the block. You have to move it. You have to take care of it, make sure it's fed and taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. So our laws, our zoning laws, and our our, uh, ability to construct new uh, types of properties is going to have to change. It's going to have to change. And uh, it was interesting, uh, we were talking on a panel this morning about affordable housing, whereas some, uh, Boston, Boston shouldn't bear this burden alone um, because there are so many other uh, communities around, but but you'd have to negotiate with 100 communities. And they all have their own laws, and there are some that don't even allow multifamily housing. There are some that allow other things, and and or put so many limitations that you couldn't possibly build it based on the laws. And and it's purposely done that way. And communities don't want the state coming in and making a mandate. Um, but that's probably what's going to happen at some point. Yeah, it's not not my yard. Uh, right, not, not in my, my backyard. Na- yeah. NIMBY, NIMBYism. Uh, that's that's. We need more YIMBYs. We need more YIMBYs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so, no, so no community wants. Can we can we talk a little bit about SVN? Okay. Yes. You wanna, actually. You talk? Uh, so, <clears throat> in commercial, I mean, in, res- in residential, there's a different franchise on every corner. Right. Go down the street. Every other house is on with a different franchise. Not so much with commercial, or we are the only pure franchisor in the commercial real estate space. And I actually had left commercial real estate to go do technology and some other things. And then I came back uh, one because SVN was very progressive in, in saying we wanted to diversify our senior management and we wanted a woman involved. Or you know, and I was like, wow, okay, that's very progressive for this industry. But then it was also the franchise model. And what I love about the franchise model is that we enable. Um, smaller, uh, I guess you call mom and pop businesses to compete with the nationals and to grow and become enterprise businesses. So that's the economic development. So I'm getting a little bit of my passion back when you can enable people to have careers and, and build lives and be in their communities and impact their communities. And franchising for me, I used to think, oh, that's something that, you know, that's like something our grandfathers did or something. And, but here it, it made sense. It's a way to grow, it's a gr- way to grow a business model and provide resources. So we can have people, in, uh, we can have offices in places where some of the bigger, really big nationals, uh, like the CBREs, the JLLs, it wouldn't make any sense for them to have an office in uh, a small town or a secondary or tertiary market, certain ones. So, so, that's what, uh, so that's what drew me back here. So it's, it's, it's creating jobs for people and creating careers. And I think because commercial real estate doesn't require a college degree, literally, it doesn't require uh, education. I think it's a, a good opportunity. We are struggling with the commission aspect of it because a lot of young people today have student loans 
and to take a commission job is a little well, tough. Well, that's a good question. So um, brings me to ask you about draws uh, for commission. Yeah. And it's not really something that we see very often in residential, but I hear about it a lot in commercial. Okay, so you don't have draws in residential. Okay. Mm, well, not, we, not, we do have a like companies like a Commission Express right. or, or a residential uh, commission. That's not a draw. You sold draw. something and you're getting paid for it. A draw yeah. is you haven't sold anything right. and you're getting paid. So one of the things we're seeing happening, this is probably one of the most exciting behind-the-scenes, for me, who's behind-the-scenes in operations, exciting things, is we're starting to see a move towards team commissions so that... Um, you're putting the younger people on the team, you're putting the um, administrative assistants on the team and the marketing people on the team so that everybody gets a base of it, but then those who originated, who's, those who closed it get more. And I think that's the way the industry has to move because really the middle class got wiped out of possibly taking a high commission job because you could not make any money your first year, but by your third year, you could be making six figures. So, and usually if you're not by then, you're probably in the wrong business, but you have to be able to, uh, we're, we're being more supportive of the actor-waiter syndrome, basically, like, we found bartenders make fantastic commercial real estate agents. And some of them, we know one that kept their job afterwards because they were getting so much real estate scoop at the high-end bar that he worked at that it was like a great way to get his feet under him. And so uh, we've had a lot of teachers actually coming. And we've done some research as to what sort of personality traits will excel. And teachers, um, they're doing this on their summers and they're doing it on the side until they feel ready to go, which I feel badly because I'm not being teachers anymore. But, you know, if they're able to... Uh, transition those skills. Sure. <laughs> that's sure. the people's well, skills. Well, don't feel bad because now they can pay their bills. Right. right. That, exactly <laughs> it. That's really true. So what does your franchise offer the franchisees that they can't get from maybe uh, training that they can buy online or yeah, well, co-star? Right. Um, that depends by on the, on the franchise. Um, but what we do offer is training tools and resources and a national brand uh, that you can actually walk in and compete and know that you've got like 1,600. We have 1,600 staff and advisors in 200 offices, and I think we're now in five countries. And one of the things that you get is uh, the network. I mean, you, if a lot of business now is global, and you know, so it's not just all deals in Boston are done in Boston. It means it might be somebody from California calling our, our Boston officer, SBM Parsons down the street, uh, calling them to find out the information. And that's something if you're in independent firms, I think uh, it's the large, the large firms, um, the names that we recognize on most of the big buildings in major metropolitan areas only make up less than 30% of the transactions that happen in commercial real estate. So that's 70% that are out there being done by smaller shops and individuals and smaller regional firms. And those regional firms are losing out to the big nationals because the real estate property is owned by the bank and the bank uh, you know, is in London and they want a known name. So that's sort of where we're playing in this middle ground. But we actually have a lot of fun clients who are franchises too. So because we, we can help them expand across the country. Like we do some tenant rep now, which we didn't used to do. And we've got Auntie Annie's pretzels and all these other names that are growing out of the Midwest. And, and so, it's, so that's what we offer. Like the training is key because it's really hard if you're a broker to train an apprentice or to train it. So being able to provide the online and in-person from our headquarters uh, training helps our smaller firms bring on staff and grow into enterprises. Well, I think that um, you, you said it doesn't need education, but you mean a formal education. It doesn't need a need formal a, education. You don't need to go to business school, but but you do need education. And, and education is a daily thing every single day yeah. in this business. You're going to find out something. Something's going to happen. You say, well, 
I've never thought of that. So you know? we've um, partnered with uh, VetFran, and so we offer a discount to veterans who are buying a franchise as the owners, but we also have some partnerships with some of the training institutes to provide discounts to veterans, and we find they've got the discipline, they've yeah. got the, they've got the pension so they've actually have money coming in so they can take a commission job and really it's it's probably just like residential and it's a numbers game you just have to make the calls you have to know your market you have to walk your market and feel your market and it does take time and patience and the fortitude to see it through and so we found that uh, veterans have that personality a lot of them and so we've had success with that and some of them haven't had a formal college education but they've had to do math and other things well, that uh, that discipline, that consistency of day in and day out doing the same thing, in sales. Um, that's that makes you successful in any business, but especially in commercial or residential real estate. Yeah, um, I think so. There there are new opportunities that are that are coming up uh, across the country, and you you think in uh, commercial world that that they're better or different than in the residential world. Um, I think I, I'm seeing this trend with a lot of residential uh, properties are are moving in the direction of commercial. As I think I defined earlier, um, commercial properties are four or more units, uh, living units in a place. So the more, that is the affordable type of housing and that is the housing in urban areas. And I believe there's a prediction that 90% of uh, the population is gonna live in urban or urban ring areas, like less rural in the, in, by 2050. And so we have to build vertically. And so we have, so that means residential real estate's going to be uh, commercial. And also we have a new uh, single family rental portfolio. So these are houses taken back by the banks during the um, foreclosures. And now they're being put out to rent. So, but they're still being owned by a corporation who is funding it and taking care and managing it because people can't afford to buy into houses and they've made buying which is for better or for worse, they've made buying a house very tough. And there are now build for rent portfolios. There Single-family homes are being purposely built in a neighborhood and to rent, not to own. Which, which neighborhoods are those? Uh, not too many around this area because we don't have okay. a lot of land, but that's down in down south. But what you are having is like banks who have all these foreclosures cobbling them together into an investment portfolio. And now there are REITs um, and there are groups raising funds and there, it's a new institutional asset class. So, so a REIT is a real estate investment, investment trust, trust and um, uh, commercial people get together, they put a bunch of these properties yeah. together and, and bet that it's going to make money. Yeah, I mean, it's slow and steady returns because it's, it's management, it's property management, it's leases. Right. Uh, the challenge will be to see how well they're kept up and how popular. But people cannot afford to buy homes, nor do they want to. It might be a way to age in place in a community that they couldn't afford to. So a question about the urban um, environment and uh, the homeless problems in the, uh, in the inner cities. Especially San Francisco right now. Well, well Boston's L on its way. <laughs> yeah, L.A. is right in front and center today uh, mm -hmm. in Inman News. Uh, so um, commercial builders, are they uh, partnering up with city officials to change zoning and get things accomplished? Oh, we wish. Uh, I mean, we're working on it. I, I, think th I think it's become the forefront of the conversation in a lot of places in a good way. But the trouble is there's so many loopholes. There's so many regulatory speed bumps I mean and you, you have to make money off these and if the financing is so difficult then you can't do it so we are seeing more community partnerships and public-private partnerships uh, Massachusetts is very neat that they have like mass development which is a quasi public uh, place that focuses on creating jobs but we need that sort of attitude with creating uh, affordable housing and that's lowercase a 
H as well as the uppercase A one because uh, I remember um, uh, one of my interns was looking for housing in the Boston area and she came up with this um, a unit uh, in, a, in a house in Chess, uh, it was actually in the Brighton uh, Commonwealth Avenue area and it was actually the house that I lived in in law school at BC Law and uh, they were charging three times what they charged me three years ago or 30 years ago but it hadn't gotten any better yeah. So it that for me unit. was astounding. I mean, because you could use Google Earth. I'm like, that's the house. And I only paid, th my share was $400 and her share was going to be 1000 And that is crazy of how can you expect these young people to afford that. Yeah. And that they are. That's why there's more and more roommates uh, right. joining together in this. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's all these... Um, people moving around in different places and coming together and going apart. And yeah, well, Boston's kind of unique in the way San Francisco is that uh, we have the type of jo tech jobs that support and data science jobs that support the inflated rents. So there are people that could afford those. Although I do think I read today that um, Manhattan residential real estate is heading down for the first time in 11 quarters or something like that. So the luxury market might have tapped out and that's something we're gonna. Well, see. we need we need a little help that way. You know? Yeah, we're, we're how many luxury? I mean, we need a new word besides luxury because like luxury has been like for luxury residential units, it covers a really wide yeah. spectrum. And I mean, the lower end of luxury isn't really luxury compared to what the high end is. But you're the real estate ex uh, residential experts. So, well, are there any um, reality TV shows for commercial brokers? Oh, there should be. But I guess you can call some of the HDTV, the house, uh, some of those ones. But no, those are single-family homes. But they're, I, they're I can't think of one. But I it would know. Be, it would be good. Yeah. Nothing gets solved in oh, half an hour I like think these Unless shows. they make a movie. Tom Wolfe wrote that A Man in Full book uh, years ago. That was about real commercial real estate. And some of that was stories uh, here in Boston that he, he used Atlanta as its setting. But I got to meet him, uh, the author, years ago when he came up to research the book because he thought it could be in Boston, but he ended up basing it in Atlanta. Because it's fiction, or was it? Or was it on? There were some real stories in there that yeah. were cobbled together into his novel. But if you're interested in commercial real estate, A Man in Full is kind of like the book about it. There we go. Mm. And now we're becoming like Oprah's bookstore. Exactly. Um, what else can you share with us? Like, if someone did, we um, have the question and answer in this segment yet? Did we already do that? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, um, for those who are confused by our confusion, uh, we actually taped this show twice today. <laughs> <laughs> but the conversation's fun. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, there's this, a view about commercial real estate that it's not uh, women or people of color friendly. And that is a reputation we are working very hard to get over. Uh, there's a fantastic organization that I have to plug, Crew Network, Commercial Real Estate Women's Network. And... Uh, there are chapters in almost every major city, and they had a conference in the recent weeks that I uh, unfortunately missed. But that's doing a lot to support women in commercial real estate. Uh, again, the smart firms know that they need to um, expand and look for talent that they might have overlooked before because the skill set for what you need is changing. And uh, it's a lot of data and a lot of processing, and you know, I, I think that's going to change in the business and um, we have to look further. So Diane, um, uh, our Castles commercial division started three years ago mm -hmm. and we had uh, a commercial broker uh, who was sort of running it and that commercial broker is not here anymore but we do have commercial brokers still. Uh, <clears throat> he wasn't doing much training but we plan to 
ad training. Um, and of course, we have CoStar and LoopNet. Right. What other tools do you have at your company that we should be bringing in to uh, make our commercial division hum? Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, talking tools of trade. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of um, tech tools out there that will help you produce your um, uh, a really good CRM that ties into creating your marketing material. So at a click of a button that you can process that and it comes out. That's really important for us as we have an enterprise version uh, of that um, marketing platform because we want our proposals to look the same across the Is country. That Podio? Uh, it's actually Build Out. That's what it's called? Yeah, Build, build out. out. Yeah. So we have a special version of that that works for us and it helps our um, franchisees process the checks behind the scene. And so it's kind of built in CRM and and the marketing platform. So there's that. One of the problems, which is very different from commercial real estate uh, and residential, is we don't have an MLS system. We have a bunch of private systems all over the world. And once that's going to break down at some point. And then it's going to be a whole different world in commercial real estate. I hope it happens in my lifetime because I want to so, see so it happen. So what are you saying? You don't consider CoStar an MLS? Well, they only cover the properties they cover. Um, so they're not in every market. Uh, we have uh, offices in smaller markets where they don't have a very good presence. And again, they're, they're collecting the information from the brokers and selling it back to the brokers. And that's kind of, uh, commercial real estate exists with an artificial scarcity mindset where um, we, are, we only track the markets that the big firms track and operate in a lot of the times. We don't have a national MLS. We don't have a Zillow for commercial real estate, but I cannot believe that's not coming because we're mapping all these streets, HD mapping them in order to have driverless cars. Who says they're not mapping all the buildings too? And all it takes is Google or someone to overlay that data. And on suddenly, data becomes a commodity and it becomes a transparent industry. And you're going to need a whole different skill set to succeed. And there are brokers and advisors. Like, we're already putting our uh, properties secured on the blockchain because that will keep the data. Um, data will be, like, standardized for future use. And so we're kind of future-proofing our data because clients are going to ask for this in the future. And also, smart contracts are trying to make their way in. So what we really need are people who are willing to work with the data to serve the clients in a way that we can use. I mean, once you get the data standardized and AI comes in, it's going to be a really fun world. <laughs> Scary, right. but fun. Broker Talk. It is, oh, there we are. Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers online. Go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. want to thank Diane Danielson for coming in and talking to us today. Larry, you uh, have something to add? Yeah, well, thank, thanks, Diane. It's great to see you. It's great to hear how well your son's doing. <laughs> Enjoy your trip to Maine today. Thank you. I will. Okay, so until next week. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. It was signing off. This is Jim Lowenstern. And Larry Laufer. Thank you for listening. Until next week. Hit them with the hind.